0: techopia live is going to the movies that's right in this episode we talked to one of the original employees at research in motion in part to get his views on the new critically acclaimed film blackberry which tells the story of the iconic canadian company that contributed to the development of smartphones what was it like in the early days at rim what went right what went wrong get the inside scoop on this episode of techopia live <laughs> From the Ottawa Business Journal. Welcome to Techopia Live. This is a regular podcast from Ottawa Business Journal that features executives from next generation technology companies. We want to shine the spotlight in up and comers, and we want to keep you updated with the established players, all with a goal of keeping the local tech sector informed and connected. Well, listen, Techopia is going a little Hollywood in this episode. If you're scratching your head and saying, How is local technology Hollywood? That's a very good question, and we've got a good answer. The focus of the episode uh, today is the North American release of the movie BlackBerry. Uh, The movie is receiving critical uh, acclaim for telling in very dramatic fashion uh, the rise and fall of the Waterloo-based technology company Research in Motion, more specifically its handheld device. Uh, The company, of course, back then was more commonly referred to as RIM. Today, we talked to one of the early employees at RIM, someone uh, who later spent some time in Ottawa and has done some YouTube work these days. Uh, back then, he was a software developer. As I indicated today, he's can be found on YouTube quite a bit, not for his musings on technology, I should point out. He operates a YouTube channel uh, that's focused on woodworking and that is a, uh, approaching, believe it or not, wow, 2 million subscribers. Uh, but just about a month ago, he released a video that outlines some of the historical inaccuracies uh, in the BlackBerry movie, specifically uh, scenes that occurred in the um, in the trailer. And today, he's joining us to share his memories and observations on research and motion on BlackBerry. Let's welcome him now. Here is Mateus Wandel. All right. Hello, Mateus. How are you Hi. doing today? Okay. Good. 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 So uh, let's let's rewind the hands of time, as they say, Mateus, and and bring you back fourteen uh, to nineteen ninety three. Excuse me. Uh, you were working at Research and Motion. Can you tell us about your job way back when?
1: Well, I was I think the last person who was hired for, that had nothing to do with uh, wireless. So I was hired okay. to work on the DigiSync product, which is a device for. The motion picture industry, which actually was for um, actual physical film, uh, once once they all went digital, that was completely obsoleted, but uh, the wireless segment was growing and uh, I worked on that for a few months and then I got roped into uh, working on the wireless modem that RIM wanted to develop. Okay,
0: And that's the modem, I think that was portrayed a little bit at the beginning of the movie. And I appreciate you haven't seen the movie at this point, but uh, the the modems were an early part of what uh, research research and motion were doing.
1: Yeah, so just the device that communicates with the network, not an actual user interface or anything like that. So this would be integrated into somebody else's device
0: okay and uh if we uh if uh, if people that are watching this or listening to this have a chance to see the blackberry movie it it's kind of starts around 1996 and i was hoping you could describe what it was like uh at research in motion way back when
1: well 1996 certainly the wireless business was very much dominant um, and this was with the mobitex network that is a data only network that at this point they're all shut down. uh, So that uh, at the time, the uh, cell phone networks weren't really very data centric. Uh, I think text messages existed, but that was about it for digital communication on the networks. Uh, So this network was very slow, um, maybe comparable to a 1200 baud modem, but a shared channel. So uh, if you communicated at 1200 baud, you'd rack up yourself quite a bit of a bill because of course you're hogging a whole chunk of the network. Um, and uh, at the time, the next big thing was going to be two-way paging. That's what a lot of analysts predicted. It never came about that way, but two-way paging was going to be the next big thing because in terms of cell phones, you know, they've taken over all that. But at the time, cell phones were just phones. Um, and everybody had, you know, you if you're an important person, you might be carrying around a pager and a cell phone potentially. Um, so, then it's like, okay, a pager that can send back a message would be a really cool thing. And there's various developments on that. And it so happened that the Mobitex network that we were working with was actually quite excellent for that purpose, even though it wasn't really designed for that. Um, There's actually some spec changes that we worked with with Ericsson who built the networks to make it even better than that. So um, the irony is this at the time already somewhat obsolete network um, ended up being a great paging network, much better than um, companies like Motorola were working on. And it was already there. So it had a huge advantage over, um, like Reflex was one of the two-way paging networks. And um, there was, I um, don't know who it was, uh, PACT was a network that they were trying to put together out of a the CDPD data network, which was also kind of a, a combination. And, and RIM was at some point contracted to build a device for that, which, we built a working prototype for that before. Uh, I think it was AT and T pulled the plug on that. Uh, I'd like to say we were the only ones that made money on that. Um, in fact, Mike Lazaridis was like, "This isn't going anywhere. Perhaps we should pull the plug on this." But fortuitously, they pulled the plug before we did, which meant they had to pay us.
0: Okay, okay. So it it did work out, Mateus. This sounds like a looks like a good opportunity to show you this. So. Uh, for some reason kicking around in the OBJ archives, we have this unopened box with a never used device. Do you want to explain to me what you think I'm holding here? This is the BlackBerry
1: 950. Uh, it was actually originally launched as the interactive pager 950, I think. So we were initially more focused on the hardware. So I think about a year before we launched BlackBerry, the service the device was on uh, RAM Mobile Data's network as a uh, two-way pager of sorts, so you could email with it and all that. Although no security on it whatsoever, uh, messages were just flying across. They are completely unencrypted. In fact, at some point I built a device using some scanners and sound cards and whatnot. It's basically scanners and sound cards is all it took and it would decode everything that it saw flying across. Like all the emails anybody sent to anybody on a particular tower, it would just print out of the screen and, and log it <laughs> just for fun. Wow. Actually, it was also useful for diagnostic purposes because there was, you know, every once in a while, it's like, why did what happened here? And I could go back through the log to see what actually happened over the air. Um, so sometimes it's like, what happened? Why does this message not get through? Well, where did it get stuck? So to be able to uh, have many logging points, of course, we had our internal, how we communicate with the network, but also say, okay, did the network actually try to send it to the device? It turned out to be a very useful device,
0: useful thing. And can you talk to the larger picture? So, so effectively, uh, I hope I uh, voice this correctly or explain this correctly. This was the this and other devices like this developed by Research and Motion were the precursor to the smartphone. I mean, is that is, that's fair to say, Matthias? Well, there was many devices that
1: you could call precursor to a smartphone. Um, you know, the PDA was a personal digital assistant was supposed to be the next big thing, which that was sort of overhanging, you know, the PDA is going to take over because the Palm Pilot had been really large. And the logical thing was to add communication to that. So there was various attempts at adding communication to a personal digital assistant, but these devices all ended up being a little too clunky and a little too expensive and just not very pocketable. Um, So to say that was a precursor was one of many precursors. What we did instead of trying to be a PDA that could do this and that and the other thing, we focused on just basically what Microsoft Outlook could do. Um, and that turned up to be, well, that's the thing that people wanted to use it for. Um, so we just focused on, you know, emails and calendar, and that was it. and that's what people needed. You don't really need the thing to manipulate your spreadsheets in your pocket. But at the time people thought that, you know, you wanted all kinds of applications on it, which now in smartphones you do have, but that's not how like the iPhone launched without any applications, So it was just Having email, web browsing was, I mean, that's a nice thing to have on a smartphone too. It's very important nowadays, but the networks were too slow to handle that at the time.
0: I want to talk, talk a bit uh, uh, about the movie. And of course, the what precipitated our interview here today is the fact that you did, uh, I think it's about a 20-minute long YouTube video that uh, you, you broke down the trailer almost second by second and saying, well, this was a little wrong. This is a little wrong. Uh, And I'm going to encourage people we will have a link both in audio and uh, video here so they can go see your YouTube, which, by the way, has 50,000 views. And uh, that's that's commonplace for you, Mateus. Your your woodworking videos always get that. But how does it feel as being one of those early employees to have a movie made from this this somewhat small company that you worked for way back when?
1: Well, on one hand, honored. But on the other hand, you're looking at the movie. It's like, well, it's rather loosely based. Um, So, you know, there is certainly a lot of creativity that went into writing the script for the movie by people who weren't there and, you know, kind of speculating how things could have been. And, you know, reading reviews of the movie, apparently it's quite a good movie. I haven't seen it yet. Um, So as a movie, it's quite good. But of course, as somebody who worked at RIM, it's like, but that's not how it happened at all. But if you had been there with a camera, even if you filmed the best moments, it would be hard to put together something that would be entertaining in the way that people expect it to be. You could make a good documentary, but that has a much smaller audience than a dramatic movie.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's going to be very difficult, I se- sense, for you to watch this, having you know lived through some of the uh, aspects of this. You'll say, well, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. So I will
1: be watching this with a bunch of fellow, a bunch of ex-rim people, and I think we'll all have a good laugh over it because... Uh, it's clear from, uh, you know, Dennis Kabelman, who used to be the CFO, just recently wrote an article, I think in the Autoicism, being rather scathing of the movie because, you know, it's, it's almost like he's trying to make fun of and tarnish reputation of BlackBerry, which I guess it is. Um, Jim Balsley also wrote about it. Um, you know, he is kind of like, well, it's fair game. Um, So different people take it differently. Um, Mike Lazaridis hasn't said anything I don't expect him to because I, I think he he's not one to look back at history so much and I think he probably would find it offensive.
0: Hmm. Uh, it does uh, I just want to dig into that a little bit more? I guess there there is must be a, a sense of pride, though that that again you were one of the early employees at Rim, and it did have this massive uh, impact. I th- I think on the world, and now it's being shown in Hollywood. There must be part of you that goes, "I was there. I saw that. I was part of history." Does that does that ring true to you at all? Oh, yes, history? certainly. Yeah. but not in relation to the movie. Yes, of course. <laughs> I, mean, I was it, there okay.
1: but I wasn't where the I wasn't anywhere where it wasn't anything like what it was in the movie so I couldn't say I was there like the movie portrays it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What what I think one of the fun things you're going to see in the movie is they regularly have in the movie a, a moving night for the engineering development team so I think it's fun that you're getting back together with some of your former uh colleagues in was, uh, in Waterloo was, to watch no, it. So
1: there was some movie night, like there was when uh, I think Harry Potter and uh, the Lord of the Rings, there was like, that; they booked the whole movie theater to see that there. So there was various events like that, although not around 1996, that would have been much later on. Um, But certainly when, yeah, the Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, I think some of the Star Wars, and I think possibly, I'm not sure if Harry Potter was one of those as well, like some of the big movies that they just basically booked the entire
0: movie theater for RIM. when it premiered okay Uh, in the movie and of course the movie's fictitious but they were showing them right in the the engineering lab so to speak so uh matthias we're going to just put our uh, conversation on pause for a second i need to give a shout out to uh, the sponsor of this episode of techopia live td bank here's their message TD's relationship team is committed to your business. They take the time to understand your business and provide banking solutions that can help you achieve your business goals. A dedicated local team allows for deeper customer relationships and better service. They take the time to learn about your business and industry so they can react to changes in the marketplace and anticipate your business's evolving banking needs. Your relationship team can also connect you with other specialists at TD to help move your business forward. And once you're up and running, TD continues to actively manage your relationship, looking for ways to help grow your business. Learn more at tdcommercialbanking.com. All right, we're back talking to Matthias Wendell, one of the early employees at Research in Motion about the uh, the movie Uh, that might be a blockbuster pretty soon, uh, Blackberry. Um Matthias, you did spend some time in, in Ottawa. So I guess you left Waterloo and came to Ottawa for a number of years. Uh, what it's type great. of work were you doing here?
1: So I had a job lined up uh, because I had decided to leave RIM, but then it's what to do next. So I had a job lined up with a small Ottawa company, but uh, before, and that was lined up a few months in advance, but before I uh, before the time came, the person who was going to hire me got fired. And I was kind of like, well, maybe I don't want to necessarily work there. I mean, the whole offer would have been in question anyways, even if I wanted to at this point. And I had some uh, projects of my own that I wanted to uh, work on. So I was fine with the job not materializing. And then as time went on, I'm kind of like, you know, I like it this way. I like the idea of, you know, there's a certain identity that comes with having a job. And to not have a job is something I became more comfortable with. I had a large amount of savings and some of the stuff I was puttering around with. One of the things was my woodworking website, which uh, also I made some videos for and that ended up taking over the whole thing. So that, uh, I think a year and a half after I moved to Ottawa, that became a very viable source of income. So it wasn't that long that I was just coasting on
0: savings. (laughs) Fascinating. I guess you would have never imagined what happened to rim and you would have never imagined I presume that you would have a a career on YouTube is that right Matthias? yeah and uh I hadn't foreseen that uh,
1: rim would go south the way it did um it was extremely good timing on part or my part to leave in 2007 because I was it would it would not have been the same to be leaving once things are going downhill because then it's like you know rats jumping off a shipping sinking ship. But to leave while things are still on the up and up, I could leave in very good conscience that way. Um, so it was it was very very fortunate timing to leave when I did. I didn't know how good the timing was when I left.
0: Yeah, and in 2007, when you left, you were doing what type of work? You were still doing you were still doing software development, I presume.
1: Yeah, still working on the stuff, the very low level stuff, uh, communication with the various cell towers. At this point, we weren't on Mobitex anymore. Uh, Everything was on the cell phone networks, which are much, perhaps in some ways, less suitable for some of the stuff we wanted to do, but uh, much more widespread, much more bandwidth. Um, So, and there was better parts available for that sort of thing. So it totally made sense to focus on the cell phone networks, as opposed to the old Mobitex, which all those networks are now shut down because, you know, it it was obsolete then. (laughs) 14 years more obsolete. Is it 15
0: years more obsolete now than it was then? 16, I think now? Yeah, exactly. And and in full appreciation of the fact that you left, and you know you're you're not necessarily in touch with uh, Rim or anyone at BlackBerry, but um, you you did have a bit of a glimpse into the future before you left. Like the iPhone did exist, and I think Google was getting into this game with smart uh, a, a smartphone. So did did you any thoughts on how uh, Rim evolved into BlackBerry? Of course, it pivoted and used that kind of security as a base, and then acquired QNX. Any thoughts? into how all this developed?
1: I had decided to, uh, I I gave the company a bit of long notice. So it was in 1990, sorry, 2006 that I decided to leave. And it's kind of like gradually working my, like it wasn't a spontaneous decision. Um, And then it's like, what am I going to do next? And another thing I was looking at is like, maybe I should work at Google. It seemed to be a hot thing to do. So I sent them a resume and they phone interviewed me and then flew me down to, um, to Silicon Valley, and uh, I was interviewing with the Android team, which I didn't know existed. Wow. Um, so, and they're like, well, we need to do this because Apple is building something, some kind of a phone, so we need to be in this too, and uh, they were impressed, you know, actually one of the things that I felt was the biggest compliment I got is like, so you guys built your own radio modems? Like, yeah. How the hell do you guys do that? <laughs> it's like, well, let me explain. <laughs>
0: that's pretty cool Um, that google asked you that
1: question so so from then it's like okay apple's getting you know google's getting into it apple's getting into it and i had always been even before that it's like there's only two companies that can kill us not the big telecoms not motorola they're they're too slow moving um like too bureaucratic and all that they're the only companies that could kill us is apple and google it's like oh gosh they're both doing it um of course it wasn't clear that they were going to kill rim Um, and, uh, I mean, we'd gotten jaded to some extent because there is so many products announced that were going to be a rim killer, like by Motorola and and whatnot. So there's so many products that are supposed to kill rim that ultimately did not kill rim. So it's easy not to take the threat of Apple and Google getting into it overly serious. And I remember I came back and I met with, I, I, I had a short meeting with Mike Lazaridis in his office and I was like, do you know that? both Apple and Google are getting into this. He may have already known this. I don't know. Um, But he's like, have you seen the latest sales figures? And I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So he was, you know, things were still on the up and up, even though this was overhanging. And the stuff, Apple and Google took off slower than anticipated. Um, So RIM still had a few good years in it. But, and, and I'm not sure if, um, if there's anything that could have even been done in 2006 because Apple and Google both were able to throw a lot more resources at this. Um, we were good at making nice hardware that worked well at communicating and long battery life and that sort of thing, whereas their focus was on operating systems and applications and stuff like that. And ultimately, um, especially the iPhone, even though it launched without apps, it became about that. And Rim just didn't have the uh, the back well the 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 depth in terms of software development and all that the resources to be so much about the software focus, which ultimately became. Um, so I'm not sure even if uh, even if Mike Lazaridis had a crystal ball and could foresee what was going to happen, if he could have changed things fast enough at that point, because at this you know Rim still have, you still have to maintain the stuff that you got which Apple and Google did not. Um, and if you're trying to reinvent completely, well, if you've already got something, then you don't want to break away from that completely because that kills your existing business to some extent, whereas Apple and Google had no such constraints. Um, so REM may very well have been doomed in 2006 already, even though even I did not foresee that it would
0: things would go the way they did. Wow, but that, there's so much lessons. And in fact, we've got one more question, Matthias, and... Then we'll wrap up with you. And, and it kind of does, uh, it, it does kind of echo that same theme. So there, there are many uh, startup entrepreneurs, uh, established technology players that watch the podcast or listen to us. I'm wondering what type of lessons you, you kind of just uh, alluded to them there, but what type of lessons, you know, you would, you would caution people about uh, if they're in the, uh, in the technology startup game?
1: Well, I think a big thing was distraction and figuring we're established now, we don't need to, uh, you know, it was like, now that we're established, we need to not screw up executing because let's be less like a startup because startups are notoriously unstable. You know, that that is a very correct assessment. Um, so the, uh, the the focus was, let's become one of the men's club, like Motorola, Ericsson, Nokia, Siemens, you know, the big guys. So now you look at where those guys are now, be careful what you wish for. So, the focus was now that we've got this killer product, we don't need to focus so much on being the scrappy innovator. We just need to deliver reliably, do it well, focus on production, focus on marketing, execute. So, get away from this unstable startup thing and just focus on the established business. Um, now, part of this, I think the good technology competitor came along and had some things, did a lot of things we could do and some things slightly better too. Um I don't know what happened to those guys. RIM sued him at any rate, and you know, being and, and RIM at this point was fairly already quite strong in terms of marketing. And it wasn't necessarily about having the best product like it is in the internet space because you had to work with the carriers it so much, much much more like getting through it with carriers. But RIM's uh, the the feeling for a time that we don't need to innovate so much, now we just need to execute. Um, as opposed to, it's always a struggle. You continue to be the sc- scrappy company that always is innovating. You can never sit still. Um, so that is um, a mistake that I think Rem made. That said, um, that can also be the right thing you need to do. You know, at what point do you say, okay, we are established? It depends on the market. If you don't have Apple and Google entering your space, um, this would... Probably have been exactly the right move to say let's let's focus on executing as opposed to innovating.
0: I get I get your point. It all depends on the context, right? So it, it might have without uh, Apple and Google been the right decision to stay heads down and just deliver, deliver, deliver. But in the context of two disruptors coming in like an Apple, like a Google, it it obviously in retrospect was the uh, was the incorrect business decision.
1: Yeah, but again, like in nineteen ninety six would we have been able to muster enough resources to, and I mean, Apple and Google had, they hadn't just started, they already been working
0: on this for at least a year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Matthias, um, I think you're going to have a terrific time watching the movie. I i hope you don't get too uh hung up that you can kind of take a, t- take a, a step back. Oh, I'm and... ready
1: for it. I don't expect <laughs> it to be anything to do. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. I guess you just have to take it as it's a movie, and the focus was not on being a documentary, but being
0: on an entertaining movie. Yes, and you and you've said that uh, I think in your very well in your own YouTube that you appreciate that if you just were to roll, uh, you know, roll a documentary film in the uh, software development lab at Rim back in the late nineteen nineties, that wouldn't be very watchable, would it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Mateus. Uh, congratulations on being part of uh, an iconic Canadian company, and for all that you've uh, you've um, you've continued to uh, succeed at. Do you want to give people a shout out for your woodworking channel? Maybe we've got some woodworking enthusiasts. Uh, where where oh, can they sure. find you?
1: So uh, actually, if you just go to my website, woodgears.ca. So woodgears, gears. So yeah. I think of wooden gears. Um. Yeah. So and that has uh, basically at, at least at this point pointers to everything
0: that I post. So. That's awesome. That's the starting point, Mateus. Thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, that was uh, Mateus Wandell, one of the original employees way back at Research in Motion in the uh, late uh, in the mid to uh, late 1990s. And let's take a look now at some of the other great companies that champion our Techopia project. Techopia is brought to you by many great sponsors, such as. EY, building a better working world. Number Crunch, offering virtual CFO services for SaaS companies. Pearlie Robertson Hill and McDougall, a leader in business and technology sector law. TD Bank, specialized programs for technology companies. The University of Ottawa Faculty of Engineering, creating the next generation of technical talent. Techopia is not only a podcast. We post new articles daily at obj.ca slash techopia. And if you're on YouTube, please subscribe and click the bell icon. Well, that was a, a fun uh, discussion with Matthias. We thank him very much for his time, for spending, uh, sharing some insights and walking down uh, memory lane, so to speak. Uh, I'm sure there's some great uh, business lessons in all of that and encourage all of you especially if you're in the technology sector to get out and watch the gods uh, the movie. Listen, uh, before we wrap up I want to point out that we've got a great new Techopia magazine that was uh developed in uh partnership with EY. You can check that out at techopiaeyinsights.ca. It's got all sorts of fascinating content um uh, in part somewhat related to today's show, uh related to the 75 years of uh, technology that's uh, that's existed here in our city and all of the, uh, some of the big success stories. So check that out again. It's techopiaeyinsights.ca. And thank you for watching or listening today. We hope Techno- Techopia is keeping you connected and informed. Let's keep building Ottawa's technology utopia. That's Techopia. See you soon. Bye-bye.